0: The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys, Guys Radio. We're here to help you. We're here to inform you. We're here to inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. Today, we're going to talk about addiction. That's right, addiction. 275 million people around the world suffer from some type of addiction. I believe it's around 60 million plus Americans have some t- sort of addiction. And it's, a, it's an issue. And it's holding our culture, and it's holding humanity back. And there's so many things we can become addicted to. And the challenge is, when you're working in a family unit, or even with a close friend, how do you get through to them in a way that's helpful without getting into a confrontation or out, without scolding them or out chewing them out. It's about how to use kindness and love and understanding to, one, work on ourselves to be able to communicate, identify uh, the issue and then communicate about it, and then also how we can help that other person connect with us so we can get them the help that they need and help them along and support them on their road to recovery. And it is not easy. And my special guest today, his name is Jeffrey Foote. He's a PhD. He's one of the co-authors of the book. came out a few years ago, a seminal book called Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change. It's a guide for families. And they just launched a new workbook called the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends, Evidence-Based Skills to Help a Loved One Make Positive Changes. And I guess all of us Know people and friends and family who have had some type of addiction or addictive behavior, and we want to get through to them. We notice it, we see it, we don't know what to do. And I think from our discussion today, and also from the work of Dr. Foote and his team, we'll learn about the best way we can work on ourselves to be in a position to be able to help the other person acknowledge their issue and be able to step forward and work with it and to improve and to find better solutions, and better alternatives than choosing to embark on behavior that becomes addictive. And listen, our society, you know, when, uh, when I was in college, we everybody smoked pot all the time. Was it addictive? I would say at a certain point, it got to be pretty addictive because there's so many guys and gals I knew in the 70s. It was, just, it was part of our lifestyle. And then drinking, really, when you're in high school, it's like, when can you drink? And you get to college, and then afterwards, only after for drink after work. And there's just so much of our society that um, is about getting loose and getting lubricated. And uh, it can become an issue, as well as uh, tobacco has been an issue. And we're going to get into that, and fentanyl and opioids and the rest. What are some of the causes? How we can support people who have run into issues based on either their personality or um, some type of trauma they went through and how we can kind of get on the same page as them to help them, to be there for them with kindness and support. So that's what we're going to do today on Guys Guys Radio. I think it's an important show, and it's part of what we do here on the show is bring experts in different areas on the show who can help share their knowledge and new information and new modalities to help everybody live their best lives. That's what we do here, and then you determine if it works for you or if it's something that's relevant for you. I don't have a lot of addiction in my life, in terms of my friends and family members, but I understand that it's a major issue. I've seen people who I know who are functioning, but still they indulge in certain behaviors too much. I found myself falling into traps now and then across the years and the decades, and hopefully i worked my way past most of that, but it can happen to all of us and it's something we need to be aware of in terms of how we can change ourselves to be in a position to help the other person while we're helping ourselves also. So Guys Guys Radio, we're going to get right into it with Dr. Jeff Foote, so hang in there. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's our special guest portion of the show, and today we've got a great one. We're going to speak with Dr. Jeffrey Foote. He's a PhD, but let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about addiction. Did you know over 275 million people worldwide suffer from some type of drug abuse? One in four families in the U.S. are impacted by substance abuse problems, and more than 60 million people in the country have a loved one who struggles with substance abuse. Now, family members are on the front line here, yet only 2% of those families get help, help. And it's a real problem here. And research has shown that family involvement, helping somebody who has a struggle with substance abuse is a real key to a successful recovery. So I'm so pleased to welcome Jeffrey Foote here uh, to the program. He is the co-founder of the Center of Motivation and Change, CMC. It's an outpatient program in New York, Long Island, D.C., and other programs in the Berkshires and Western Massachusetts. He's also co founder, executive director of, uh, let's see, a nonprofit organization with the mission of improving the dissemination of evidence based ideas and strategies to the families of persons struggling with substance abuse, which is the CMC. And he's co authored, most importantly, the book Beyond Addiction, which is a practical guide for families dealing with addictions and substance abuse problems. And now there's a new book called the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends. So it's really about how to understand substance abuse behavior, how to approach problems without judgment, how to open lines of communication, how to set respectful limits, how to live with pain and stay connected, and how compassion is the key to helping your loved one and you. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Jeffrey Foote.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's start right at the beginning, Dr. Foote. What is addiction?
1: well that's a it's a subject of wild debate um and i think the um the practical version of that um is um a biopsychosocial disorder um and <clears throat> what we mean by that is it's a lot of different things in a lot of different people um one of the one of the things we spend a fair amount of time um Doing battle with, I think, is the cultural notion um, of a one-size-fits-all concept that addiction is this monolithic thing. It's it's uh, uh, or addicts. I'm an addict, and that means a certain set of things. And and the problem with that, in addition to the fact that it's not true, <laughs> is that it really pigeonholes it pigeonholes people uh, into this one-size-fits-all kind of thinking. Okay. Um, and in particular, in terms of how to help. Um, and the truth is, um, it's, it really is different for different people. I can, I can be sitting doing a group with a bunch of people who are struggling with substances and look around that group of, you know, eight or 10 people. And every one of those people is there, got there a different way, and will get out of there a different way, you know, got into this type of struggle in, in, through, one whole, through a whole set of variables that are very specific to them. And it doesn't mean that as human beings, we don't struggle with similar things. But, you know, the first person in my group is a 56 year old person who, you know, uh, who fought in Desert Storm and has got PTSD. And then the next person is a is a 23 year old, you know, young woman who was sexually assaulted three times. And the next person is um, a college kid who's smoking a lot of pot and they can't really function very well. And the next person is somebody using a bunch of benzodiazepines because their anxiety is so bad they can't get out of the house. Like those are all incredibly different people for us to say, oh, that's what addiction is, or that person is an addict, is to miss that person almost entirely. Um, and if you're ever in a helping role, which is the, which is the work that we're focused on in, in, in the Beyond Addiction workbook is about how to help. Um, if you approach that helping role with the idea that there is this person across the way from me who, who has addiction, and I know what that is, you're on the wrong track. Okay. Um,
0: Now, now, um, there's certain... Everybody's different, and every approach has to be a little bit different. I'm sure there's some consistencies in terms of love and compassion and kindness with the mm -hmm. approach, but what are some of the core, and you mentioned some of them, but the core causes and triggers that can lead to addiction?
1: um, Well... Some people have a biological propensity. Um, you know, my father type of thing was, you know, struggled with alcohol uh, and severe alcohol use for years and years. So I might have a genetic predisposition to this, meaning the impact of alcohol on my brain is different than the impact of alcohol on your brain, just on a biological basis. Um, I, I have a, a flatter effect from alcohol. So I, I want to drink more than you do. Um, um, so that would be the biological part of the biopsychosocial, the psycho part would be, um, um, what are my emotional struggles? Um, what have I gone through that's produced some emotional struggles? What are my predispositions in terms of emotional or psychiatric issues? Um, have I been someone who's been through traumatic events in my life? So, you know, the, the co-occurrence of PTSD in people who are struggling with substances is incredibly high. Um, a, a quarter of the people who walk into our clinic in New York City um, can be diagnosed with PTSD. And in our, in our residential center up in the Berkshires in Massachusetts, 40% of those people who walk in have PTSD, which is an extraordinarily high number, level. Uh, and, and PTSD is, is a bad thing to have.
0: Now, What exactly is that? Because people think about it when we we usually hear about it, it's somebody coming back from uh, Iraq or Vietnam mm-hmm. or wherever. Mm-hmm. What what really is it? Because it's beyond that. That's just those type of uh, experiences can trigger that. But what
1: sure. is P? What is it? Sure. So PTSD is post traumatic stress disorder, um, and. There's different definitions um, depending on whether it's in the the US and that's the American Psychiatric Association or whether it's the World Health Organization. There's something called complex PTSD. But um, whatever the diagnostic criteria are, it's it's a series of experiences or an experience that essentially is not been able to be processed by the person experiencing it um, uh, because it was too overwhelming um and that results in people kind of being frozen in some sense um and one of the one of the, one of the uh, cornerstones of ptsd in terms of of symptoms is avoidance so i have been through a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events which lead me to want to in the most frank terms just stay away from things that are reminding me of that either Either very specific things, like I don't like to go out of the house because I might run into X, Y, and Z kind of a person, uh, or more broadly, which is what starts to infiltrate people's functioning, I don't want to feel stuff. Emotions are a bad place for me to go because I get overwhelmed, um, so I stay away from emotional responses to things. So um, you can, I mean, we all go through traumatic things in our lives, and most of those don't result in PTSD. PTSD um and some of them do for some subset of people um and you know those could be wartime types of horrific events um uh they could be um sexual assaults which are incredibly common uh cause of PTSD uh physical violence of any sort um threats to life um threats to loved ones lives in some sense i thought someone was going to die or i watched someone die um so these are sort of like these existential threats that occur to us as humans, which do happen, that I, I for any number of reasons, was unable to kind of shake off, and it still, and it still haunts me. So that's a terrible thing to carry around. Um, it's really debilitating for people in their lives. It used to be, in, when I was in training, you know, 35 years ago, that we thought of PTSD as like, oh, goodness, that's, that's a, sort of a, a, a lifelong sentence to misery. Um, and we now have a bunch of treatments that are incredibly helpful and effective. Um, um, so that's the good news. But in terms of substance issues, um, it would be one of the the, the co-occurrence, as we say, the, the amount of people who have PTSD who also abuse substances or the amount of people who use substances who also have PTSD um, is very high. It's a big overlap.
0: How about depression? And uh, we're just riffing here. We're having a conversation. I just thought about that. Like depression, is that also a trigger for addiction in the same way?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, Or really, really significant anxiety issues. Um, I have panic disorder. I have social anxiety disorder, these kinds of things. But yeah, there's always a much higher co-occurrence of if I have a a psychiatric struggle of some sort like that, like you just said, like a, a mood disorder of some sort, or I'm bipolar, um, that I'm much more likely than the average Joe to have a struggle with substances as well.
0: How about um, uh, Jeff? Um, people who are codependent—does that make them more susceptible to addiction?
1: So uh, there's there's a bunch of words I, I'll just say um, up front that that have been around in this field for a long time that I'm not a big fan of. Um, partly because, like like addict or like addiction, even they kind of imply. This um, sameness to everybody. Um, so, codependent or enabling are ones that are used with families a lot. Um, whether it's a you know a, a husband or a wife, a partner, or whether it's um, uh, parents of a of a kid who's struggling with substances, there's this kind of underlying assumption that if you ask many many family members who've interacted with the treatment world in trying to help their loved one, um, they end up feeling like they're getting accused of something. <laughs> mm-hmm codependent is one of the big ones. Okay. (laughs) Um, You are a codependent person by definition, because you're involved with someone who's struggling with substances. Got it. Uh, One, it's not fair Two, it's not helpful. Three, it's not usually true. Um, So if you zoom out a little bit and go. um, What happens when I have a loved one who's struggling in this way? Like, what's the what's the pull? What's the natural impulse? It's to help, right? It's to try to Get through this situation somehow. It's to try to help you resolve this in some way that allows you and us as a family or as a couple to do better uh, together, to be happier together. Um, and that's like, that's awesome um, to have that desire to help. Okay. Why families are so powerful as helping agents. Okay. They don't know how to, but. But they're certainly powerful forces. And when they get language tossed at them, like, well, you know, if you would stop enabling this so much, if you weren't enabling, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. If you keep, you know, giving your kid all this stuff and that's why they keep using it, it just, it just burns families. Cause it's like, it's this dirty word that you can throw at them or, or, and this accusation and that's, and when you do that, you're losing this incredible source of support for that person who's in that struggle. So Back to your specific question, um, codependent um, would mean something about um, my happiness is contingent on you being happy, and vice versa, and we're all entwined with each other, and so forth. And yes, there could be a a a a kind of screwed up state where people get into with each other, but it's not like a given by any means. Because I have someone who is struggling with substances, and I want to help them, like. My response to that is, thank God somebody wants to help them. Thank you for doing that. Can we, can we help you with some tools to have that go better?
0: Got it. Okay. Um, let's talk about some of the big ones. I mean, alcohol, drugs, opioids, fentanyl, tobacco, porn. What do you find in your practice as to be the, the biggest um, culprit here?
1: So we're in the middle of a, an incredibly devastating uh, opioid crisis. Uh, and i've been around long enough to have witnessed the various um uh epidemics as people always call these things um uh and various crisis moments in the culture when i first started in the field it was the crack crack quote epidemic mm-hmm. um which was making everybody um really nervous and um us like uh demonizing Um, mostly people of color, around crack babies and all these these inner inner city images that were portrayed in the media about what crack was. Um, uh, Before that, which was a little before my time as a treatment provider, there was the heroin epidemic in the late 60s into the early 70s. Um, um, Then there was a methamphetamine epidemic uh, in the 1990s and the 2000s. which is still a prevalent and terrible issue. And now there's the um <clears throat> opioid epidemic again come back, except for this time, really what that epidemic is, is an overdose epidemic. Um so uh on a just in a brute force way, the most terrible thing happening in some level right now is the uh, the uh, amount of overdosing and death that's occurring in the in the face of fentanyl. Um and fentanyl has been introduced into the opiate um panoply um and is is an incredibly common substance to have in across many substances so it's not just in other opiates like oh they put fentanyl in my heroin fentanyl is in pressed benzodiazepines i've ordered uh, uh Xanax on the internet uh, right and then it has fentanyl in it and you overdosed um and my cocaine has fentanyl in it and you know it's just an endless thing right now uh and it's pretty lethal um so it's not just a Epidemic because um, there's a number of people dying. There's just a huge number of people dying who are shouldn't be dying age-wise. So you have this group from you know 16 to 30, um, which is this astronomically high death rate now because of opioid fentanyl overdoses. So as a just a brute force horror show, um, that is a true overdose and death epidemic.
0: how, how do people, uh, Jeff, how do people yeah. get involved with that? And is there, and I'm just asking for the folks who don't know, and it's what I don't know that much about it. Is there yeah. a high involved? What draws people to fentanyl? Sure. There,
1: there, there would be somebody who would be using an opiate. So fentanyl is an, a synthetic opiate, um, okay. like heroin is an opiate. Um, um, uh, Percocet, you know, is a medication with opiates in it. Um, so these, these are analgesic um, um, depressants, um, and um, they feel good. So um, that's why people use substances. So the problem with fentanyl is that it's incredibly more potent in terms of its impact and its, affili- and its affinity for um, attaching to our neurons in the brain. Uh, and it is much, much quicker to flip the um, breathing switch in our brains uh, essentially, and shut down our respiratory system, uh, and people die. Okay. Um, so the nobody's, people are not, like, seeking out, well, actually, that's not exactly true. They're not seeking out fentanyl any more than they'd be seeking out any other opiate. They're seeking out opiates. Now there's the reputation that fentanyl is 50 times stronger, so there is a pull, as morbid as it may seem on the outside, if I'm somebody using opiates and you tell me I can have an opiate that's 50 times stronger, I want that. Um, just Unfortunately, that doesn't interact with our brains well, and, and we're more likely to die. Got it. Um, okay. so the, but the interesting thing, zooming out from that crisis of overdose, is that when you, when you look at substances of abuse, um, uh, and you line them all up in terms of the n- numbers of people in the, in the universe using these substances, the ones that just crush everything... Uh, well, I'll let you guess. What's what substance do you think crushes everything, every other substance combined in terms of of death? I would
0: guess and it's only a guess alcohol.
1: That would be number 2. It's a good guess. <laughs> okay, that was my guess, all right. <laughs> so the 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 crusher um, uh is um, nicotine. Interesting.
0: Why is yeah. that? That's a that's very interesting.
1: Yeah. Um, it, you know, alcohol is not a close second. It's a distant second, but it's way up there. Um, but even in the midst of this opioid epidemic and overdose epidemic, it's still nothing compared to, to nicotine, um, which is legal as is alcohol. Um, and so when we think about, um, addiction and uh, addictive substances and what happens in the mortality and, and, the, and the injury associated with the various substances, those two are on the list, first and second, and, and everything else is a, such a far distant third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Now, opiates, because of fentanyl and because of the, the incredibly high death associated with it, have now, unfortunately, sprung up into that category, into that realm of alcohol and nicotine. Um, but you know, previously the number of deaths—I think—I think the U.S. deaths something like four hundred eighty thousand a year related to nicotine, mm-hmm. um, uh, and everything else is just far below that. Let's drill
0: down a little bit on those two because they seem to be ignored somewhat now, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And by the way, my special guest is Jeff Foote. He's written a co-author of Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change, and now the new workbook, the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends. He's doing great work with his team at the uh, Center of Motivation and Change to really help families. So My question is about alcohol and tobacco. Having worked in the advertising business and I had a little time on a tobacco account and I worked a long time on different alcohol accounts and I noticed two things. One, um, you know, there's pushback from the government and from uh, because they've gotten pushback in terms of uh, cigarette advertising. Obviously, um, I actually worked at the agency that did Joe Camel and Mm -hmm. the people who worked on Joe Camel and. And that kind of got pulled back and you don't see, you don't see the advertising anymore there. On the other hand, for alcohol, I have found, and I worked on a lot of big brands and a lot of big accounts that they've actually loosened up the reins on how you can advertise alcohol. First, it was just print. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's not only uh TV advertising, but it's current athletes mm-hmm. promoting alcoholic beverages. And it's mm-hmm. just amazing. Or showing like boxing with alcohol, <laughs> like, yeah. And it's it's just alcohol. It seems to be this lubricant for our society. You think back. I'm a boomer. You're a boomer in high school. What do you want to do? You want to find a way where you can drink. You got to college. Everybody just got totally smashed all the time. Not everybody, but, you know, the keg parties, et cetera. You get out into the work world. After work, you go out and have drinks. Now, over time at home, have a couple of glasses of white wine go right. out to dinner have a martini then have a steak then have red wine then maybe a little co- over time it becomes part of our behavior that's accepted and i think from the studies i've read no amount of alcohol is really good for you i quit a couple of years ago just because i had a voice in my head saying don't drink alcohol anymore and i stopped mm-hmm. and i'm glad i did and i feel a lot better i enjoyed it when i did and i didn't right. abuse it i'm one of those people who i could drink and i right. didn't have a problem with
1: it which but- is most people
0: yeah, and it's just amazing that those two, two categories yeah. um, continue, as you say, to proliferate,
1: yeah. yet
0: um, the, what's being done about it? Because with alcohol, it's like, wow, um, right. it seems like uh, there's a lot of, uh, after uh, the pandemic, a lot of people <laughs> drinking at home and stuff, it hasn't yeah. stopped. And I noticed with uh, young people, it's just everything's flavored like orange and every, yeah. it's just everything's out there in yeah. for, and, and every form.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. The, I mean, the 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 big <clears throat> reveal, obviously, about alcohol and and tobacco is that they're legal. So exactly, that part is not too hard to figure out. Like, well, how come they're so so prevalent? You know, um, <laughs> um, I'll also just take that in another direction too, because it's it it brings up another point that's really it's sort of a foundational idea in this whole way of trying to help and trying to work with people. Whether I'm a therapist, whether I'm a, a dad, I happen to be both of those things. But wh- whatever my roles are in trying to help others who are engaged in this kind of struggle, the the the, the second book you mentioned, the the um, Beyond Addiction Workbook, yeah, that's a that's a book that is really talking about this this whole approach that we call the Invitation to Change, and the whole <clears throat> there are a number of ideas in the Invitation to Change if you think about the title, it's how do I invite someone to change, <laughs> right? That's, that, that's why it's called the invitation to change. It's called the invitation to change also because demanding change is not called the demand to change because demanding change is not an effective strategy for helping someone. Uh, as a family member, that's one of the first things that comes up for us. There's lots of, there's lots of cultural um, ideas about how how do you deal with somebody who's struggling with substances in these ways? It's mostly around confrontation and demanding and interventions and all this kind of crap that is not effective, just flat out not effective. And it's just really about how do you help another human being change? It doesn't have to be about substances, but how do you help someone change? So I'm saying all that to say that that one of the very first ideas in the invitation to change, for me to learn as a helper is the idea that the other person's behavior makes sense to them. So that idea that behaviors make sense is a really simple, straightforward idea, but it's really kind of um, changes the whole framework for how I'm approaching my loved one or my client or whoever it is that I'm trying to help. Because what you just pointed out is, but I like this stuff. I well, I mean, what do you mean? I, I'm in college. I'd like to drink with my buddies. I'm going home after dinner, after work. It's, I, it's nice to relax. You know, it puts me in the mood for a nice dinner and then have a nice evening. And, you know, right. That's what substances do. They help us. We like them. <laughs> and that makes sense. Like that behavior of using, of having a drink after dinner. Is that like morally bankrupt or some horrific thing? Nope. Everybody would be like, no, but that seems fine. And why are you doing that? Like you wouldn't be asking the person like, why are you doing that? You'd be saying, so what's what, 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 what do you get out of drinking a glass of wine after dinner? Uh, it relaxes me. Uh, it helps me sleep. Uh, it makes me want to have sex. Uh, it helps me watch stupid TV shows with my wife that I wouldn't like to watch otherwise. Like there's any number of reasons that I would want to have a glass of wine. Okay. Would we think any of those were like ridiculous? No, not really. We'd think, Yeah, of course, that makes sense. That's not pathological. There's nothing crazy about that. So to be able to approach that other person with that idea of like, there's, I may not understand what makes sense about it for you. and And there really may be a destructive downside that's happening now. But if I can at least start from the standpoint of like, but there's something in this for you that matters, then we can have a whole different relationship when we're talking about this. Like I'm giving you... I'm I'm giving you the respect of knowing there's something that matters to you about this. I'm not just here to say, that's crazy, stop doing that. Because when you start from the starting point of that's crazy, that's destructive, what are you thinking? Stop doing it. You lose people, like okay. entirely.
0: Let's let's get into your process and your uh, brand, if you will. You You developed a center of motivation and change. So what exactly is that? How does it work? And then how does somebody come off the street or come to you with a family member, whatever, to get yeah. uh engaged with you. And then what are the kind of the steps that you take to bring them into the fold in a loving, kind way, family oriented, and to help them change yep. their behavior?
1: Yep. So the we have we have a couple of different programs. We have a large outpatient program in New York City and then we have a small residential center in Massachusetts. The the work that has produced these books is coming from our foundation. That's the uh the CMC Foundation for Change. Um, and so the Beyond Addiction workbook is published by New Harbinger, um, but it's, it's the work of our foundation. We set up a foundation after many years of having these, these treatment centers, because we thought, you know what, we can treat 400 people at a time in New York. That's a big deal. That's a big program where we can do this nice in, inpatient thing up in Massachusetts. But we're getting to nobody here. That's nobody in terms of the size of this problem. So how do we amplify this, helping uh, these set of ideas that we know have been shown through many research studies to be incredibly helpful to people? So that's when we started writing books. And that's when we formed the the foundation. Uh, And the foundation, uh, which is cmcffc.org, that's a website you can go to. You can go to for training. You can go to for resources. As a family member, many of those things are free. Um, And the whole purpose of that is how do we bring in a much larger helping circle of people? There's never going to be enough professionals in this world to help the number of people struggling with substances and their families. There's just nothing, nothing's going to compare on those two, between those two groups. So how do we involve a larger workforce, so to speak, which is a highly motivated group of people, which is family members who love their loved one and who want to help and who have no idea how to help. So the the foundation is devoted and the book is devoted to here's some tools, take them, use them. They'll be helpful to you. We do these trainings for people. We do weekend long trainings for people, for professionals, for families. Um, We supply all the resources they need to start community groups uh, in their towns, online or in person. Um, And so the whole idea of the foundation is handing over all that evidence-based stuff that normally just sits on dry academic shelves in some professor's office. It's like, Stop with that crap already! We got to hand these materials over to people so they can just do it on their own.
0: How do people? Um, it's like the first step is the toughest in in anything we do in life. How, what, how do people take that first step to co- actually coming in or contacting the CMC?
1: Well, as I said, I mean they can they can contact our our nonprofit by just but, going. But, to, but I, I
0: mean more. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean more. They have somebody in their family that. Yeah. Has an issue. yeah. And taking that first step, whether it's an acknowledgement or getting yeah. that, that person has to, I would assume, has to yeah. really be circumspect enough to say, maybe this is something I need to deal with. How do you, that seems like the trickiest part. Once gotcha. they get yeah. in and start working with you, I'm sure yeah. you get the results, but how can family members who notice somebody in their family, yeah. like maybe he's a functioning alcoholic, maybe he has some type of issue that I'm not aware of, Maybe yeah. he's spending too much time in front of that screen with his yeah. pants down or whatever what it is. Yeah. You know, there's something going on that my yeah. whatever needs help. How did yeah. they have that conversation yeah. without having an uncomfortable intervention to get somebody to contact your organization and really right. start to do something about it? Right. That?
1: So I'll go back to that word invitation, um, which and, is how do I learn? So a lot of these strategies, they grew out of this approach called craft, and now it's grown into something we call as I said the invitation to change the the what 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 is important about this whole model is I as a family member can learn a bunch of stuff before I even approach you so I often family members uh, or helpers are focused on the other person's behavior and and how do I get you to stop it if we can step away from that for a minute and go, okay, what do I need to understand differently here before I step into this role here? How do I do this better? Um, and the invitation to change includes um, three different parts. One is actually four, one is understanding, helping with understanding. So how do I understand this better differently? As I said, um, you know, the idea that your behaviors make sense the idea that one size doesn't fit all. So you have a very particular set of things that are important to you about your substance use. Uh, And the idea that ambivalence is normal. So in changing, it's helpful to recognize that this is gonna be a start and stop process. It's gonna be a jagged course. And can I, as the person trying to help you, get my head around that? So if I can understand this differently, I'm gonna be a better helper. So I can do that without even approaching you. I can sort of get that idea for myself first.
0: How, how, Jeff, how does uh, then the, the the family member, what's the key for them getting through to the individual that, hey, we need to work on this together? Because to right. me, that's it. If you can make that connection at that point, then you've made an, a, a tremendous step towards right. recovery. So, but that's right. the tough part of it, because you're dealing with somebody who's got an addictive personality or an addiction. You're dealing with a family member that wants to help. And a lot of times it's like, "I don't want to hear it, I don't have an issue. Right. Thanks a lot, whatever. How do you right. make that connection?
1: Right. so the th- uh, I'll say the three parts of this invitation to change right. wheel are helping by understanding you first. Um, so that's going to change the way I approach you. I'm not coming at you to get you to knock it off. I'm g- coming at you to understand what th- what's in this for you. The next part of this invitation to change is helping you by having greater awareness of myself understanding what my values are and having some self-compassion for myself in this process. That's a critical step in helping you. So you're talking about how do I make that approach? I need to understand you. I need to understand myself, <laughs> both. Uh, and then the third part is helping with action. So what are some communication strategies I can use? Uh, how can I listen better? How can I ask you questions in a way that allows you to not be so defensive? Um, and these are very straightforward ideas but once i can start this process by understanding you by understanding myself then all those kind of communication strategies are going to work much better and mm-hmm. and i'm going to be able to truly invite you because one of the things that happens is i'm i'm coming at you with a series of demands right so if you think about you're asking this question what's the critical way to approach that person if i'm coming at you with demands i'm going to i'm going to lose you mm-hmm. If I'm coming at you with 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 curiosity and with an invitation, I'm not going to lose you. Um, We can we can start to relate to each other and we can start to talk about this in a way. Um, I'll give you an example. Actually, Uh, we had somebody in one of our parent groups recently who said, and I wrote a little blog about this actually, um, which was she said, "I've been working at this stuff Uh, a year ago. My son and I weren't talking, and six months uh, recently." Six months ago, I started doing, working with this invitation to change approach and our communication started to totally change. And my level of connection to my son increased, even though he continued to use substances, our trust, our fighting went down, our trust went up, our talking and our connection increased. Okay. And he was still struggling with substances. Okay. And then last week I was watching TV one evening and he opened his door of his room and he came out and he said, I think I'm overdosing and what she was saying was a year ago he wouldn't have come out of his room and he would have overdosed here we could focus on he's still using substances oh my god but actually what happened is he's still using substances and she was able to save his life because he was connected to her and he was willing to open the door and tell her that and that was the change that occurred so far in that relationship
0: Okay. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio is doing wonderful work, uh, Dr. Jeff Foote, PhD. He's written a book with, uh, looks like three other uh, doctors, uh, called Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change, A Guide for Families, and now the new Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends. Congratulations on all the great work you're doing. So once, uh, Jeff, the family member and the uh, uh, client, we'll call them, or lack of a better term, who's being treated. They make a connection. They're doing the work at um, Center for Motivation and Change and using CRAFT, the community reinforcement and family training. How do you maintain that that you help them not fall off the wagon, so to speak? Mm -hmm. What are some of the obstacles? Like somebody gets on the program. It's like anything else. At the beginning of the year, people sign up for the gym. They go for three weeks and then they drop it. How do you keep this going? So it becomes a real transformation in terms of who that person is and how they behave and see the world and themselves.
1: Yeah. So, again, if I'm taking the position of how do I help the helper in this situation? um, What I want that helper to be able to do is is have an understanding that this is a start and stop process. So they may have a lapse. They may fall back in old behaviors. As a matter of fact, we would expect that to happen. And how do I keep helping them and not get so frustrated and not start yelling at them and all that kind of stuff that happens in families and um, is going to set them back even further? So, the the I'm responding to the question of how do I help them stay on track by talking about how do I help myself as a helper stay on track? Um, How do I keep the 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 lines of communication open with them? I, I I am much less concerned as a as a family member or as a therapist with the idea that they might relapse then the idea of how do we sustain their forward movement in in a positive direction. So they might actually go back and they they don't want to drink anymore. And then they did last weekend. Okay. That to me is not the critical question. The critical question is how do we stay connected in this process and how do I keep supporting them and how do they keep their motivation for this movement? Um, So my understanding them better is going to help that my understanding what they get out of alcohol is going to help that so for instance they drink because they have chronic pain and because they don't sleep well uh and i now understand that okay so we're able to talk about that we're able to sort of problem solve and brainstorm ways to help them take alcohol out of their life but still be addressing these other issues if all i want to do is say can you please stop this obnoxious behavior stop drinking without addressing why they're drinking or what's behind that, I'm not going to be so helpful. And it's going to be a bad deal for them, <laughs> basically. Do, yeah. do you
0: do you incorporate any other, um, like, hypnosis, sound healing, any types of other modalities besides the behavioral kind of a PhD, if you will, approach? And I'm not knocking that by any means because yeah. you're doing great work. But there's other things where if we are at a certain frequency, sometimes we're not as interested in those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that goes directly to the heart, I think, of this whole idea that behaviors make sense, which is, again, if we're swapping out something that's helping you, even though it might have a downside, your drinking is helping you. You drink not because you're crazy, but because it gives you something. So what else can we start to incorporate in your life that's actually meaningful to you? You know, it's one of the reasons that spirituality is it plays a role for people sometimes in recovery. It doesn't have to. It's not the the only thing by any means. But for those people who find that to be a rewarding way to move in their life, that can be an incredibly important stepping stone towards a meaningful a me- meaning, which I currently don't have or currently I'm, I'm, I'm washing away with my substances. OK, I'm getting the satisfaction I need for my substances, but if you just take those away, what else do I have? Is spirituality a path for me um, are other pleasurable experiences in my life to me learning how to relate to other people in a less anxious way or in a more connected way those would be important tools to start to put in place so all the things you're talking about in terms of what else could be useful mm-hmm. there aren't any in my experience there aren't any special tricks or other things that you have to do that make sure that the person does this otherwise they can't do this kind of a change but what you do have to pay attention to is what can we start to think about for that person in their life that would be meaningful for them?
0: Mm-hmm. How you know? about um, it seems like a lot of things are based on, on ritual. So uh, from my understanding is and I've run a bunch of marathons that a lot of people who run marathons, they've had substance abuse issues and they've kind of flipped mm-hmm. an addiction for one thing to running. Mm-hmm. Or uh, other folks I know who have had alcohol issues, they quit and they eat a lot of chocolate or sweets. Yeah. How, how And, and it's, it's very it's ritual based. Um, how do you kind of, uh, keep your eyes out for that when you're working, when a family member or your team is working with somebody that they're not just replacing one bad habit with another one?
1: Right. Well, they might be replacing one bad habit with a good habit.
0: Yes, of course.
1: (laughs) And they may get a little overboard with it. Um, it's funny. We use the idea of running marathons, uh, which some people, um, get really into, um, as an example of. So do we look at that behavior where you're spending a lot of time doing that and you're throwing up and feeling horrible and stuff like that? Do we think that's bad, horrible behavior? We don't. We think it's really virtuous, cool behavior, usually, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) Um, And people do it because it's rewarding to them. They don't do it just because this is so incredibly painful and I like to feel sick to my stomach all the time. That's probably not why you run marathons, right? (laughs) You get something.
0: Fortunately, I didn't feel sick to my stomach, but every other little ache and pain that you could ever imagine in your body, you're going to experience when you're training for a marathon
1: or running a marathon. And you could give us a list of the reasons why this is rewarding for you. Exactly. Yes. Um, So when I'm thinking about talking to someone about um, uh, stepping away from a behavior that they have found rewarding, whether I think it's Um, they shouldn't be doing it or not. It is rewarding to be using a bunch of cocaine. It is rewarding to smoke pot. It is rewarding to drink. That's why people do it. Um, And what we're trying to help encourage, and again, this is a behavioral set of ideas, is what else can be rewarding to you? We're not trying to take away the rewards from your life. You know, we're trying to add them in in another way.
0: Okay. You're doing great work, Dr. Foote, Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change, the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends, the uh, Center for, help me out, Center for Motivation and Change, and uh, CRAFT, you're doing terrific work. Was it CRAFT?
1: Invitation to Change. CRAFT,
0: Community Reinforcement and Family Training. Yeah. And the invitation to change. So, there's a lot of things for us to learn about. You're doing terrific work. Where can people find you?
1: Um, they can find our foundation at um, cmcffc.org. Um, that's where you can find the Beyond Addiction Workbook for family and friends. Um, you can also find that at the New Harbinger website. But, um, Beyond Addiction Workbook is the website. I think you can go to and buy that book um, specifically for help with helping a loved one.
0: Fantastic. Keep doing the great work, Dr. Foote, and thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. Thanks a lot. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, that was a very informative instructional exceptional conversation with Dr. Jeff Foote of the Center for Motivation and Change. And the book, again, is Beyond Addiction, and the workbook is the Beyond Addiction workbook for family and friends. What did we learn? I think we learned a lot today, and there's a lot more for all of us to learn if we want to help the folks we know we love help them with their addiction issues and i think number 1 one of the takeaways i got was we have to really change ourselves to be in a position to help other people change one size doesn't fit all every situation is different we have to be aware of that we have to be circumspect about it we have to be interested in what might have been the triggers to cause the addictive behavior on the part of the person that we love and the fact that Not one size fits all in terms of solutions, and that we need patience and kindness and empathy. And there's all different types of addictions out there, everything from tobacco to porn and across the board. And there's so many things available that we can get kind of a fall into the foxhole, have a hard time getting out when it comes to various substances and and behaviors. So just be careful yourselves, mind yourselves and be open to change yourself so you can communicate and engage with that person that you know and care about who has some type of addictive issue it's really important to show empathy there all right so we're here on guys guys radio on kcaa in southern california every wednesday at 8 p.m pacific time the show rebroadcast every sunday at 6 p.m pacific time 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. Uh, KCAA also does, you can stream it, you can listen live, you can download. They are also connected with their own outlets and platforms for podcasts and YouTube. But we have our own Guys Guys Radio. We have our own YouTube channel called Guys Guys TV. The YouTube Rumble and our podcast, our global podcast, airs worldwide every Thursday. So if you want to just watch the interviews, YouTube and Rumble. If you want to listen, we're on pretty much all of the big podcast platforms. We've been downloaded in over 100 countries, and we're there for you. And now we're on UK Health Radio, which is the number one health talk radio platform in the world. We're on four times every weekend Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I am also now writing for their UK Health Radio's Health Triangle magazine. I just did my third article about aging. And you can also catch me out on my website, M-A-N-N-I.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, so many different topics, many that we cover here on Guys Guys Radio. While you're there, you can also download three free chapters of my novel. It's called The Guys Guys Guide to Love. And it's really the source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's about two men in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It gives the reader a little peek behind the curtain in terms of the weird, odd world of modern men and their dating habits. We've got some savvy women characters. We've got some flawed men characters in there. And it's all about love, sex, power, and money, frenemies, revenge, redemption, and really just having a good time with your fellow man and really enjoying the life we have right here on planet earth because the book is a rom-com it's fast it's frothy it's fun and i think you'll really enjoy it so listen you can check out the three free chapters uh, on my website if you dig it then pick up a copy you can get the physical copy or an ebook wherever you purchase your books and i appreciate your support And if you really enjoy the content and guests I bring you each and every week, the Guys Guys Radio, Guys Guys TV, and beyond, please subscribe, follow, review, share, rate, whatever you can do to help us out. We're not asking for your money, but asking just for a little bit of support to give us, keep pushing us along so we can continue to bring you the best guests who have the best information for you to consider to help you live your best lives. The Guys Guys Radio, I'm here for you every week to do just that, I want to thank my 750 plus guests that I've interviewed, these thought leaders from around the world, from so many different disciplines that have been here over the past couple of years. Thank you. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris, my strategy lead, Ryan. But most of all, I want to thank you, our growing listeners from around the world. It's just been so fantastic to see the numbers grow, have more and more people get on board and say, hey, I like what you're doing. Thank you, keep doing it. It's just amazing. You can also, by the way, catch me often on other podcasts and other broadcasts and other YouTube shows. I'm often on a show called Second Act TV, hosted by my friend Silka Schwarzkopf, and she deals with relationship issues over 50. I've been on the, the show as a featured guest many times, and we've got close to a million views on that. So check that out, too. So thank you so much. I'm going to see you again next week. And until then, have a great week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys finish first.